Amen. Before you're seated, turn and greet two people and say, hey, let's, let's have a good meal together. Hallelujah. No youth tonight. They're going to stay. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. How many of you like a good meal? I said, how many like a good meal? And I, I like to do some serious feeding myself. You know, one of the great treats when I come to the Bay Area, I always like to go to Val's. I, 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 I tell Pastor Mark it's like a requirement now. It's, it's, but uh, a few days ago, Heidi, when she knew I was coming here, she said, you're going to go to Val's. Heidi's my wife, by the way. She said, uh, you're going to go to Val's? I said, no, I think I get in too late at night. It's, I don't think it's going to be possible. So it wasn't even in my heart. But when I landed... The first thing they said to me is says, hey, we're going to go straight to Val's. And my heart just sang a song. Hallelujah. And, you know, you go over there, you, 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 you always ask for self-control. You try, you try to show, show some sense of discipline and manners. And when I'm there, I have none. You know, sometimes when people come to, 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 to the presence of the Lord, uh, we always try to have manners. And show our religious, pious ways. But no, just, just jump in. Just feed on Jesus. Just eat. Just get loaded. Just get absolutely so much of the love of the Father. It's just hard to believe. And it's really, really true how good God is for you. So we're honored to be here tonight. Thanks uh, so much for, for coming out. How many of you were here this morning at one of the services? Praise the Lord. Good. How many of you were not here this morning? Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Thanks for coming out to hang out with us. Uh, we're going to just carry on where we started this morning. We had us a big time. And uh, what I liked about the services this morning is the lights worked in both services. <laughs> so the bills are paid and I'm grateful. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, but the Lord is good. I always uh, have fond memories of when I came here to preach and I preached in the dark. Boy, did we have a time in the dark, huh? We preached on the light. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The light of God's love for you. Hey, uh, let me again say thank you for uh, being planted in this place. You know, it takes, uh, it takes faith to be planted. But see, the key many times in our flourishing is when we're established and planted someplace. And so I, I find even in marriage, you know, sometimes marriages and relationships and even in ministry, I think one of the greatest uh, assets really in my little life is the longevity I have in, in, in friendships. You know, a lot of people can't go the distance uh, in, in, in anything. They can't stay planted. They get a little fidgety. They, they read each other wrong or whatever. And so Heidi and I, we're celebrating 29 years of marriage. And, you know, I'm just still glad we're hanging in there. Hallelujah. And I'm glad she always is beginning to know the revelation of how smart I am. And you know, she's not here, so I can't, uh, I really can't say those things. Praise the Lord. No, but. God is, God is so good, and, and, and we're just so, so gracious. So thanks for being planted in this place, uh, the church. Well, with some of your tithes, your offerings, you know, seeds and many things around the world, I'm sure. But uh, mutual faith, Heidi and I get to be an expression. And you all know your pastors came with us to Lebanon. We had us a big time. And so I showed this at the first service. We couldn't get it quite queued up at the second service. So let me show you again. This is what you've been up to in the Middle East. So let's watch this.
It's a reality. In the middle of the war-torn Middle East, a new beacon of hope rises high in the heart of Beirut, Lebanon, in the Naba district of Borj Hamoud. When Mutual Faith Ministries purchased this campus with a 40,000 square foot facility, it was in much need of repair and restoration. Having experienced the brunt of the Civil War in the 1970s, the facility took a direct hit with bombs and was riddled with shell and mortar fire. Upon acquiring the property, Mutual Faith remodeled the entire structure inside and out. New stucco and painting, new windows, new bathrooms, new electrical wiring, fixtures and ceilings, new hostel group accommodations holding up to 60 people, new classrooms, new administrative offices, new auditorium seating 700 people, a new cafeteria and conference center, and a newly remodeled attached four bedroom apartment. Since the dedication of the Middle East Life Center in March 2010, Mutual Faith has hosted a variety of ministries, including Spring of Life, an academic school and mentoring program for 100 kids every day. Many are disenfranchised and undocumented in the community from Muslim, Druze, Iraqi, and various other ethnic backgrounds. Medical clinic, five days each week, medical assistance, inoculations, and consultations are given free of charge to the community. Leadership training, hosting the Life Leadership Institute and regional conferences. Kingdom Fiesta, an annual celebration of hope for the Middle East. Theatrical and musical productions, with famous Middle Eastern singers, musicians, choirs, and orchestras. The local church, led by Pastor Saeed Deeb, weekly services, classes, and baptisms are conducted. Missionary groups, hosted for community ministry and outreach, people participate from Syria, Egypt, Jordan, Europe, and the United States. The Middle East Life Center was purchased for $900,000 as a cash deal, being paid interest-free over a four-year period. The entire Middle East is greatly impacted with the ongoing life-giving ministry that flows from the Mutual Faith team at the Life Center in Beirut, Lebanon. Thanks for having a heart for the Middle East. As we join our faith, we can change our world. All right. Isn't that good? So uh, that's what you've been up to. If you didn't get a copy of the magazine called Nations, of course, it's out there. We have a little table. And uh, you can read a lot of great stories about what's happening there. Tremendous evangelism is going there on there right now. And uh, I would say over the last six weeks or so, I mean, God has done something absolutely significant. And between probably 50 and 100 people a week are giving their lives to Jesus. And many of these, of course, are Muslim people and from various backgrounds. But we're just so excited that uh, the love of the Father is being revealed and known and people choose to believe and receive how good God is and have transformations in their personal life. Right now, during the summer, you saw we have a uh, campus for kids. We have 100 kids 
in our school, many from Hezbollah backgrounds and many from various Middle Eastern nations that are refugees in that, that area. And we sponsor them all free of charge. And uh, it's just a, a ministry to the region. It's, uh, it's phenomenal, the favor God gives you. You know, when you teach uh, somebody's kid how to read and, and write and you teach them uh, Arabic and French and English in your school and you teach them basic mathematics and you love them and you teach them values in their life. I tell you, these, these parents listen to you. They're, they'll listen to you. And uh, we're just so excited. Actually, about a week ago on uh, July 1st, I think, uh, we had a big dinner there and uh, the whole op- outside was filled with... Uh, tables and people and, and secular people coming there just hearing about spring of life and we're excited about it and then this past week we just hosted our very first summer camp we had 80 of these uh, kids uh, we took them to the mountains for a week we had 20 adults just to kind of navigate all of them and uh, so throughout the summer we have uh, we have uh, camps that we sponsor and pay for everything just bless all these kids. So it's, uh, it's very, very exciting. You know, I think in the Middle East, when you hear all the challenges now of Syria and all the people that are dying almost daily in Syria and some of the surrounding nations, um, a lot of these leaders come to our center, you know, and they get trained, they get equipped, they stay there. We can sleep 60 people and uh, it's just awesome. And then we send uh, people back into their Arabic nations and they share the love of the Father. And so uh, I'm just so grateful during this season, during this whole time of uh, calamity in the whole wide world, it seems like, and challenges and financial complications and political uh, problems, that uh, the Life Center is there. And so uh, thanks. You all are making a, a vital impact in the nation. So give the Lord another shout of praise. Amen. Can you do that? Amen. Praise the Lord. So... Uh, that's, uh, that's exciting. Hey, let me just tell you another little... Uh, people have been asking about my family uh, here this morning after the services. So let me just give you a little update. Heidi and I are really, really excited. Uh, both our boys are working with us in the ministry. That's, my oldest son puts the videos together, does all the video work and still photography in the ministry. Uh, he coordinates the mission teams, mission groups around the world. He's going here at the end of the month or maybe the 1st of August with a team of 15 uh, people from Southern California, they're going to be there uh, at the Life Center in Beirut. So uh, he's excited about uh, traveling uh, in the nations, and he's, uh, he's kind of like my uh, personal assistant as well. He shows me how to use my iPhone because <laughs> I'm absolutely clueless, you know what I mean, and turn on, the, uh, turn on my computer. But anyway, thank God for somebody who knows something. Hallelujah. <laughs> When it comes to technology. So thank God for kids. My other son, Josh, uh, he's married. He just uh, turned 24. And uh, he's my youngest son. And uh, he and his wife, Kelsey, been married a couple years. But they're having their, uh, their first child in September. On September 16th, my birthday. Huh? So the, the, the Lord arranged that. So um, anyway, Heidi, my wife, she is just like... You know, you'd think she's having the baby. You know what I mean? She's, she's just so excited. And they're just... My kids were living with us. Um, and yesterday, they moved out. And so I called Heidi this morning and I said, Did they stay out or have they come back? Hallelujah. She said, No, they didn't come back. I said, Thank God. Hallelujah. They're on there. But we're really excited for them. And... Uh, so, you know, everybody wants to know when you have a grandbaby, what, what are they going to call you? So Heidi kept pestering me. Keith, what, you know, what are the grandkids going to call you? I, said, I don't know, you know. 
She said, uh, I know what they're going to call me. I said, what are they going to call you? And she said, Granny. I said, Granny? Granny? I said, you can do better than Granny. And she said, no, I like the name Granny. I'm going to be called Granny. And then I had a vision. I said, Heidi, I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, but every time I look at you, I'll think I'm looking at Granny on the Beverly Hillbillies. That that could overwhelm me. Hallelujah. (laughs) So she's Granny. I'm actually going to be called Granddaddy. Granddaddy. And then Kelsey, my daughter-in-law, said, oh, they're getting a... What do you call these cages they put kids in? Or the, not a cage, but these cribs. Huh? Playpen, yeah. A playpen. We're going to get one that's got a top to it. Hallelujah. Huh? They said they're going to get a playpen. So, so Kelsey can work up at the mission center office, you know, with Josh. And I says, what? I said, you know. We, we have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put signs up, adults only. And uh, so anyway, they said, no, we're going to get a playpen. We're going to put it in your office. And she said, I'm going to teach that little girl just to bat her eyes at you. And she'll have you in her pocket, you know. Granddaddy will come to the rescue. CIA, to be dismissed, is that right? CIA? And any other federal workers, you're welcome to leave. (laughs) Here we we go. This could be a long night. Hallelujah. Because granddaddy's here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad the Lord loves you? Hallelujah. Put your hands on your heart. Father, these are your precious ones. These are your kids. They're covered. Lord God, we can just look at you. We can bat our eyes. And you fix us. You love us that much. Father God, help us to feed on your wonderful love for us as we receive of your word tonight. And Father, I ask that you bring clarity in the hearts and lives of the people in this place. I thank you that we say by faith, we're not nervous about nothing. We're not afraid of the past. We're not afraid of the future. Jesus, you're Lord of all, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. amen. Go with me in your Bible, if you would, please. Romans chapter 1. Let me just carry on a little bit tonight with what I started this morning on this whole concept of imparting charisma. I told you how God rearranged my thinking and my worldview in terms of my calling, in terms of ministry. So what I'm sharing really with you this morning, what I've shared with you tonight, really has to do with the framework of my calling. It's just a part of me now. And so I have to unfold it, it seems like, wherever I go. Um, And here in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul the Apostle said, For I long to see you. You know, a personal passion for people is the key for any impartation of the favor and love and grace of God. I long to see that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. 
Now we learned this morning that this term spiritual gift seems so nebulous in the King James Version or the New King James Version. But really it's the term in the Greek language charisma. And even though these are my life verses, I never really knew what I was imparting. So I would come up with all kinds of concepts. But a lot of times I put a lot of pressure on people that their favor with the Father was based on what they did. Always. And sometimes if you live with a mindset and get it kind of a little bit out of kilter, you can put way too much pressure on yourself and you'll live really frustrated with yourself. You live like you're always missing the mark, never good enough, always frustrated with you. And uh, really what you really need is to be delivered from you. You need to find yourself totally in Christ Jesus. So it's the impartation of charisma, which is the gifts of God or the graces of God that are only provided through Jesus' finished work at the uh, cross. Authentic grace, authentic charisma is only found in Christ. And I taught that to you, I think, when I was here maybe a year ago or so. I taught about Jesus being a professional savior. And how Jesus, from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am the chief. He thought in his mind that he did it better than anybody else. But I explained this morning, all of us are professional sinners. You know, some people think they're goody-two-shoes and don't think they need much because they think their self-righteousness is worth something. The only thing your self-righteousness is worth is to soothe your mind uh, now and then. But before God, it's worth nothing. It's a filthy rag. And it's, it's human effort. You know, if righteousness could come through the law or through your efforts to the law, the Bible says Jesus died in vain. And so we have to come to the place to recognize how much God loved us. You know, your capacity to love God is based on the revelation of how much you've been forgiven. And Jesus explains the story with a sinful woman. When everybody's ragging on Jesus for dealing with sinners like this and letting her in, into their company, into their environment. And Jesus talked about the importance and the strength of love comes with your revelation of how much you've been loved and how much you've been forgiven. So I'm renewing my mind to the great reality, according to Hebrews 8, that all of my sins, which have been piled high and deep. All of my sins, which were piled high and deep, have been forgiven by God and forgotten by God. And now in God's accounting system... He doesn't even put them in the record book. It's just stunning. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks a little bit about that. But that's really what not I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about these verses. Romans 1, 11 and 12. So the impartation of charisma, and we learned this morning what charisma does for you. It will encourage you. It will establish you. And it will trigger your faith. Three factors that can help you monitor your focus on the cross. If you're strengthened spiritually, if you're encouraged spiritually, and if your faith functions for others, spiritually speaking, then charisma or the grace of God or the work of the cross is working on your behalf. See, every part of your life is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm learning the best I can to take myself more and more out of the equation and then just live my life in him carried Because when I'm carried, I then cooperate. Remember, when you're carried, when you're being rescued, when a lifesaver or a lifeguard rescues you, they carry you and they call the shots. They whisper in your ear as they take you to the safe place or the 
place of grace, the place of sufficiency, the place of authority. And that's what Jesus does for you. He carries you as a professional Savior, and then the Holy Spirit leads you by writing on your heart. And I mentioned this morning, really what the Holy Spirit does is like 24-7 graffiti. He writes all over you. You know, God himself tattoos your name on his hand. And then what the Holy Spirit does when you allow Jesus and be wrapped and smothered and covered in the finished work of Jesus, you're led by the Spirit who writes on your heart. And he doesn't write the old, com- the old commands. He writes the commands of the new covenant, which are love and faith in the purposes of the Father that you cooperate in. He doesn't, he doesn't give you something obsolete to fulfill. He gives, you, he gives you the commands of Himself. And when you're hid in Him, you fulfill all that old stuff. It's effortless. And it's full of life and in the strength of God. So we talked this morning that my little definition for charisma of what I'm supposed to be imparting as a preacher. If I'm longing to see the people of Heart of the Bay, you know, Christian Center, I'm going to impart the grace of God, the full finished work. Of Jesus Christ. And I told you my definition was simply this. Because of Jesus. Whether you know it or not. Or believe it or not. Or like it or not. God God loves you completely. I love to tell people. I love to preach that in the Middle East. Woo. Makes me happy. I love to be among. You know all kinds of atheists. And Muslims. And you know Hezbollah. And, and you know Maronites. And whatever. And stand and smile and let them know the creator of the heaven and earth. Whatever name you have for him. He loves you completely. He does. And it's all found in Christ Jesus. And secondly, he favors you abundantly. And see, most people, we learned in the second service a little bit. Most people don't understand favor. They think it it has to be attainable through their earning or through their merit. And we're living in a different system in the kingdom of God where it's unmerited favor. It's, it's favor that's just granted because of Jesus. And uh, we have to find our favor that way. And then he blesses us now and eternally. So we've learned that uh, you can know you've received charisma uh, if you're established, if you're encouraged, and if your faith is functioning. Then charisma is functioning. The grace of God is working in your life. Now, how do you obtain a little more grace. Let me, let me go through this real quick. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. You gain grace in your life when you don't trust yourself. And the best way you know you're not trusting yourself is when you're humbled. When you humble yourself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says, Likewise, you younger folks, submit yourself to the older folks. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility is like clothing yourself with righteousness. Like we talked about the blue blazer. You got to put it on. You got to wear it because righteousness is a gift. It's not an act. It's a gift. Righteousness comes through Jesus alone. Now, your fruits of righteousness will flood forth and spring forth from carrying Him and beholding Him. And you'll be transformed into the same image because grace teaches you, you know, to live righteously and godly in this present world. Grace will teach you how to live. And and so, when, when you clothe with righteousness and you're clothed with humility, it says God will resist the proud. But He grants grace or charisma. 
the sufficiency of himself to those who are humble. That's why the older I get, the more gray hair I get, the less I'm, I'm, I'm trusting myself in terms of my own ability, my own sufficiency, and I'm just feeding on God's love for me. And I'm enjoying it. I'm seeing manifestations of miracles and manifestations of favor and open doors that are indescribable. Just just because uh, God's that good. Hallelujah. So it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He'll lift you up. He'll lift you up in due time, casting your care on Him. Casting, Casting all your care on Him. For He cares for you. So humility, obtaining more grace, you know you're humble when you don't carry a care. So see, every day I'm carrying something and a lot of it's care. So throughout the day I'm humbling myself and casting my care because it's amazing how we try to cast it and then we catch it, you know. And then you carry it again. You think about the kids and the grandkids and you think about old granny. You know, you think about all these things that just can begin to stir at you. But you know what you want to do is you want to cast your care. It's when you know you're not trusting in yourself. When you don't have a care about nothing, you don't take it. Take no thought for tomorrow. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to you know, do? How is it going to work? Take no thought. When the thought comes, don't grab it. Let it float on through. Hallelujah. And you just give yourself to God and feed on His love for you and walk in His ways and let Him carry you. Let Him whisper and He'll show you clearly. You know, I was thinking today, in fact, I've got an issue in the ministry I have to deal with, uh, probably Tuesday. And I don't like the thought of it. So it's with a, a person, and a person that works with us in another nation, actually. And, uh, and I've got to deal with it. So even today, being such a wonderful, great man of God that I am, I was supposed to be resting, but you know what I was doing? I was worrying. But how do I deal with this? What a bummer. You know what I mean? And you know what I had to do this afternoon? Cast my care. Amen. Not give it thought. Because I believe that when I go home and talk to Granny, when I go home <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> I'm going to sit with Granny and I'm going to say, Hey, Grandma. No, I'm, I'm going I'm to have her in the equation. Because you know what? My wife, it's amazing. She, she, she has the mind of Christ for me sometimes. When I'm dealing with things. And then I'm going to have her sit with me in the environment. You know what will happen? The Lord will just carry me and whisper. Show me how to deal with the personalities of people. Show me how not to break somebody. Show me how to move in grace. And so we're going to have to trust the Lord with our kids, with our spouses, with everything. And see everyone through the finished work of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. So the way you gain more grace is when you stay humble. Grace is granted when you choose not to trust in yourself. The other way is found found through the revelation knowledge of Jesus. And that's in 2 Peter chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace. Grace and peace or shalom. The wholeness of God is multiplied. It's intensified in your realm through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Anytime you gain revelation knowledge of the finished work of the cross, grace is granted. It's multiplied. 
the sufficiency of Jesus. So, since the Lord began to quicken my heart, like I said these two and a half years ago, everything I seem to be studying is around the finished work of Jesus. When I study the Old Testament, it's always around, filtered through, and everything, the finished work of Jesus. I'm finding that if I don't filter everything in Scripture through the finished work of Jesus, you can have a wrong conclusion. And if you don't filter all your challenges in life, whether it's people, your loved ones, or yourself, through the finished work of Jesus, you'll not see clearly. And uh, it's important that we see everyone through the finished work of Jesus. So, my definition of charisma again. God loves you completely. God favors you abundantly. And God blesses you eternally. Let me show three things about imparting charisma and how it works in relation to... To scripture. Number one, God loves you completely. Now, this is really hard for people to, uh, to believe. You know, we, we always tell people, I love you, or, you know, and that's nice to tell, tell your spouse, I love you, but can you say, I love you completely? You know, a lot of times we can say, I love you, but you bug me. You know what I mean? Or, I love you, but you get on I me. Mean, you know what I mean? Can, do, do you know that when God looks to you, He loves you? Completely. Now, the reason I know that is what it says in Romans chapter 8. Many reasons, actually. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In your worst shame, in your worst pain, God loved you completely. And He wanted to see you through the finished work of Jesus. So we provided a perfect sacrifice to be your covering. Wherever I am in the world preaching the gospel, uh, no matter what people have done, I tell them, God loves you completely. You know, I had a situation recently with a, a precious friend. And uh, I was traveling. I forgot where I was. But it was just a couple months ago. And this friend called me, you know. And... Uh, just weeping, 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 weeping. And he did something totally stupid. Have you done, ever done anything stupid? None of you. You guys are phenomenal. Did you learn that from Pastor Mark? Hallelujah. <laughs> but this guy, <laughs> to do nothing stupid, that's, you know. Because Pastor Mark, he is uh, close to perfect. But this guy did something totally, totally stupid. And you know what I told him? God loves you completely. And I do too. And right now I'm going to see you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That you have an advocate with the Father. Who has become a covering or a propitiation. For your sin. And he was shocked. I didn't get mad at him. I didn't call him a low life. I didn't cuss him out. I didn't tell him he shouldn't be in the ministry. I loved him. You know, if you and I could extend this kind of love while people are yet in sin, it can fix them. Because they can get access to the grace of God, which teaches them, to deny ungodliness. Grace will teach you that. Laws won't. In fact, if you just give people the law, you will strengthen people in their sin. The Bible, the New Testament says, the strength of sin is the law. 
And so you and I sometimes give people the wrong solution that sinks them. It's like trying to help somebody that's drowning. And all we do is we just say, let, let me hold you up for a minute because we want to tie a couple, you know, blocks to your legs. Hallelujah. And they say, we love you. God bless you. Go to heaven. You know what I mean? It's like we sink them with the burden of finding their own righteousness and their own effort. And they've proven in and of themselves they can't do it. Now, the Bible gives many, many examples about this in the New Testament. You know, wherever I'm in the world preaching... I always tell them, God loves you completely. We didn't show it tonight, but it would be in this magazine if you get it. You know, I think there's an article in here somewhere um, about these women in Africa. Tricosi slave women. You know, Heidi and I were just there. We built this center in Africa. You know, these precious ones, their stories are horrifying. Indescribable. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to go alongside people and just let them know God loves you completely. You know, they have these little priests over there that run these shrines. These little, I mean, they're, they're, they're demonized folks, you know. And they, they come with these beanie caps and everything. And people say, Keith, do you chew them out? No. I don't have a chewing out ministry. I'm going to present the cross and see if they can see themselves in Christ and enjoy the love of the Father. So I shake the hands of these guys. I give them a hug. I invite them, buy them a soft drink, sit down with them under a tree. Then I preach, share the love of the Father. You know, because I believe people everywhere are redeemable. And I believe somebody's got to tell People, that kind of truth. So here, the, let's go real quick. Go with me to John chapter 8 real quick. Now, I, 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 this is, I just want to take a minute on this, but just to show you the point of God loving you completely and seeing everybody through the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Some of you may be sitting here and you're full of you know, guilt or shame or condemnation. Maybe you're embarrassed Because you did something stupid. Well, I'm glad you recognize who you are. But look to Jesus and recognize that grace is granted for your sin. For your stupidity. And he'll empower you not to sin again. He'll give you the victory there. But it's not in your effort. It's in his love for you. Now, this story kind of proves the point. You all know this story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And uh, verse, verse 3 says, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious dudes, you know. These were the, you know, they were, they were, they were preachers of the word, right? They had the, the old system. And they knew the word. And they wanted to be doers of the word. Huh? They wanted to enforce it. Right? It sounds logical. It sounds right. Right? So, they came to Jesus because they brought to Jesus this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Notice they didn't bring the guy. They just brought the girl. Maybe the guy was one of their own company. You never know. But they didn't bring the guy. They brought the girl. And they, 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 they wanted to catch Jesus, you know. To, th- to see what he would do. 
But remember, Jesus, according to John 1, verse, verse uh, 17 or 14, that the law, the regulation to find your favor with the Father, came through Moses, the first covenant. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the grace, truth, or the truth of grace. Okay? And it came as a person in Christ Jesus. So they brought this woman, they set her in the midst of Jesus, and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, see they're quoting the word, word preachers. Now Moses, in the law, commanded that such a one should be stoned. What do you think? So Jesus, you know, said, I can't even read my own print in my Bible here. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? They, they said, testing him, that they might have something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. You know, sometimes when you get around judgment people, best not to hear it. You know, uh, Heidi and I were talking on the phone today about a situation and, and uh, about this uh, issue. And uh, just somebody who's always full of judgment. You know, always judging everybody. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's not good enough. Everybody's a loser. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody didn't perform perfectly. Now, if you're going to hang around with that kind of company... You know, it's just, it's, just, it's just tough on you. So Jesus just acted like he didn't hear. He stooped down, and when, he conti- when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, who, uh, He who is without stone, or without sin, <laughs> not without stone, he who is not stoned. No, that's not what it said. He, 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 is, he who is without sin among you, <laughs> let him throw the first stone. And so it's interesting. Jesus said, listen, if you want to live in that system, you have to qualify to enforce it. Because nobody could live the system except one. Jesus Christ. And so when they all left from the greatest to the least, and Jesus was left alone with the little lady, you know, Jesus, the only one who could enforce the word and really be a doer of the law, said he refused to do it. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. See... To know that you're loved completely is to know that there's no condemnation. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you. That's why people's worldview of God is all messed up because they think God is just ready to blast them. Actually, when God announced to the angels, or the angels announced to the shepherds, you know, the voice of the Father, that that Jesus was going to be born, there was going to be peace Toward men, not among men, toward men, that God's whole method of ministry toward people was not going to be with wrath or judgment, but it would be placed on Jesus Christ. And now we have full favor with the Father. It's phenomenal. So this little lady, you know, Jesus uh, gave her uh, an edict, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Grace will teach you. How to deny ungodliness. Grace is the ingredient that makes your heart have the right flavor of the, of the purposes of God. 
in the way God wants you to live your life. So always be established in his love for you. God loves you completely. And so our goal each day is to know and to believe that God loves you completely. That's my daily, that's my daily agenda. All I do is feed on his love for me. That's my, own, that's my only ambition. That I'm loved completely. I'm favored abundantly. I'm blessed eternally. And everything else just begins to flow. And use my faith for my righteous position. Keeping my righteous jacket on. It's a gift. Keeping that blazer on. Even if you know somebody doesn't like it. I'm going to wear it. Hallelujah. Even if they don't think I'm a perfect performer of all the religious duty and whatever. I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. So we have to know and believe. Go with me real quick to 1 John 4. Verse 16, the Bible says, And we have known and believed the love God has for us. Do you know it? And do you believe it? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. So God loves you completely. There's no condemnation in him. Second thing about imparting grace or charisma is that to know that he favors you abundantly. Because of your faith in Jesus and his perfect finished work, you're accepted in the beloved. Look at Ephesians 1 6 says, I love this verse. To the praise of the glory of his charisma by which he made us accepted in the beloved. When you know and believe that you're loved completely, you can then comprehend that you're favored abundantly because he accepted you. He loves you. You are in him. You have full favor with the Father. You know, you and I, you've got you to renew your mind to this because most people live very disappointed with themselves. They didn't think they were a good enough dad. They didn't think they were a good enough mom. They didn't think they did this good enough or that good enough. And You're always judging yourself. You know... You, we preachers do it all the time. We're good at it. You know, we preach and think, oh, man, I wonder if anybody got anything out of that. You know what I mean? My wife, Heidi, did a ladies uh, meeting at this church in Southern California yesterday. And so uh, she called me. I was at this funeral and I was leaving this funeral. And, and uh, then there was the burial that afternoon. And so she called me and she said, uh, you know, I'm coming home. There was about an hour away from the house where she drove. And I said, Heidi, how how'd the ladies have been? Go, oh, you know, I don't know. It was okay. I just, you know. She was automatically in that whole thing of judging herself. It's natural for us. We have to, we do that with God. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think we prayed hard enough. We didn't fast long enough. We didn't give our offering. We, whatever. And then that condemnation just comes and tries to settle on you. And it says, loser, loser, loser. Huh? You're good for nothing. You're a bum. You know, all these voices. Just put your jacket on, roll over, ignore all the nonsense. Begin to tell yourself the truth and feed on his love for you. And find that you have full favor. You'll cooperate. You'll pray. You'll give. You'll do all the things. But your favor with God is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And I tell you, if, if you can ever get to the place where you're delivered from your own performance, you'll enjoy God. Go ahead. Come on. Go there. You'll enjoy the love of the Father. You know, if my kids, you know, had to find uh, my approval by how good they are, they would have never qualified. <laughs> you know, even to this day, if my kids who work for me, 
Had, you know, if my employees had to find favor with me based on how good they are and how perfect they do their work, they'd all be in trouble. You know, if I had to find favor with myself running the organization, I'd I'd have fired myself 25 years ago. You know? How many know what I'm talking about, huh? Man, I, I need the grace of God. So that's, 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 that's where I'm settling. I'm settling at the cross. Like the song we sang. His love for me. Hallelujah. God loves me completely. He favors me. We talked about the favor of the prodigal son in the second service, I think, today. We'll not go over that again. So most Christians live disappointed with themselves. They think that their acceptance and favor with the Father is based on their right doing. Their perfect performance. Their effort. And if they didn't do enough, they think, oh dear God, I'm a sinner. If I dropped dead, I bet I'd go to hell. You know, people have those thoughts. None of you, of course. But people do. People think, oh, if I had a... You know, the Bible says... Whatever you do, if it's not springing forth from faith, it's sin. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you know to do good and decide not to do it, it's sin. Bummers. Those, those two verses are bummers. But you know what? It, <laughs> it shows you you're not good enough. Do you stay in faith 24-7? I don't. I just look for believing moments throughout the day. Listen. <laughs> I, look, I look for believing moments, man. And throughout my nights. Hallelujah. And I feed on his love for me. And you know what? I eventually fall out of it because I'm housed in this thing called a body. And there's all kinds of things that come up here in mess <laughs> with my mind. Huh? And make me feel I have to qualify to fix everyone and everything and do it in I can't. So I just slide back in his love for me. He equips me with grace and sufficiency and ability and power and authority and miracles. And I enjoy myself. And you know what? I have victory over sin. I, I, I still sin, but not as much. Oh, grandpa's doing better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Granny, she's another story. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm preaching good now. Hallelujah. Thank God Heidi's not here. Okay, I better move on. But the thing is, you know, um, he favors you. He favors you fully. We talked about the older brother view. He was in the father's family and still thought he had to work to enjoy the father. No wonder he was a grouch. There's so many religious people. I'd rather be with sinners. There are a lot of religious people. And Jesus did too. That's why I love Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. He enjoyed the company of sinners. And he was accused of being one. They said, you're a wine-bibber. You're a glutton. They would accuse me of being a glutton last night. Hallelujah. And I would have been guilty over at Val's probably. Man. Boy, was I eating good last night. But the thing is, the thing is, uh, you know, Jesus, 
enjoyed an environment who could receive from him. And self-righteous people can't receive nothing. All they have is condemnation and judgment because they don't even enjoy themselves and understand that righteousness is a gift. So God loves you completely. God favors you abundantly. God blesses you eternally. Now and forever. Go with me real quick to Luke chapter 5. You all know this. Are you all having a good time? I'm going to stop pretty quick. I think. Okay, look at here, Luke chapter 5. You all know this story. When uh, the disciples had fished all night and caught nothing. Have you ever just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked at something and never worked out? It's a bummer, isn't it? Some people for years, decades, they, they wonder if they had the right dream. They wonder if they were in the right assignment. They... You know, they wonder, and then they judge themselves. People are really hard on themselves. Listen, if you think your favor with the Father is based on what you do, you'll never find peace. Your favor with the Father is based on what Jesus has done. Period. Period. And so they worked all night, didn't catch nothing. But Jesus needed their boat. And so uh, he, he, he asked them if he could borrow one, of course. They, they sowed a seed into Jesus. He taught the multitude. And when Jesus stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Remember one day, many years ago, I taught about your net worth. Huh? That was a good teaching. I ought to get that one out again. That must have been, what, 15 years ago? Yeah. Huh? Look how old you are now these days, huh? <laughs> Oh, Brother George, I like to have fun. I'm sorry. Please, please forgive me. You have to whether you like it or not. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't remember when it was. I'll find, I'll find out, though. But see, your, your net worth, see, in our culture, our net worth is money and assets and houses and lands. In the kingdom, it's your life's value to people. Your net has value. What you do in life, your assignment in life. And so we taught a little bit about that, but I forgot what the message fully was, so I better not talk about it anymore. So let me see if I can see this again. I'm going to get a Bible with bigger print. When do those Bibles go on sale here? I'm, I'm going to go put, put one on layaway tonight. Do they have a gigantic print Bible in there? Does anybody have any reading glasses I can borrow? Oh, it's on the screen. That's a, that's a good idea. What a, what a novel idea. Look at this. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Let's go to the next verse. But Simon answered, Master, we've toiled, we've toiled, we've toiled, we've toiled all night. We labored. Remember, your blessings never in your labor. Your blessings in your favor. That's, what, that's the word I got uh, either last night flying here or the, this morning. I, I never heard that before. Maybe at Val's. Man, but somebody, I got a pin here. I got to write that down. I don't think I ever wrote that down. I'm going to preach on that one day. Your blessing is never in your labor. 
It's only found in your favor. You have to believe you're favored abundantly in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. See, your favor with God through Christ Jesus is it's, it's found in the cross. You know, your wealth isn't found in the seed you sow. You're not rich through the seed you sow. You're rich at the cross. Jesus became poor at the cross. You were made rich at the cross. Now, you can accelerate the abundance of God's blessing and goodness in your life through seeds you sow. But it's never in what you do. You're carrying, you know, you're carried by Him. And your, your cooperation with what He writes on your heart helps trigger, you know, the manifold blessing. But it's all because of the cross. So anyway, Master, we cold, toiled all night. We, we, we labored, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, your word, I'll let it down. See, I believe Jesus is always communicating and speaking. But what I think is cool about this is sometimes a seed gives you an interpretation of what he's always been saying. I think sometimes in life that the blessing and the favor and the prosperity and the increase and the things that we need are always there, but sometimes we don't see it until we sow into him. That's why the way you feed on him is by focusing on him. The way you're changed, like I said, I love that verse, 2 Corinthians 3. You're transformed not through your effort. You're transformed through beholding Him. And when they took time to behold Jesus, they got a clarity or an understanding or an interpretation of what He's been trying to tell them of how to have a blessed life. So they had the clarity. So it goes on to say, they had done this. They caught a great number of fish. And the net was breaking. And you know the story. They called their partners and everybody got a load of fish and blessed and prosperity. And it's wonderful. God, you know, favors you uh, abundantly, but He blesses you now and and eternally. And it comes through just giving Him your focus, your attention. That's why I always let the cross be the key. I like the way you all do it here at the church. You have the cross, you know, between the songs or between whatever things and verses and stuff. And I like that. Some some churches, you know, don't, don't have a reminder of the cross. But your blessings... In what he has done at the cross. So he blesses you uh, naturally in this life, but also in the life to come. Let me show you one other verse or two other verses. Then I'm going to pray for you. And uh, then I'm going to call granny. Okay, here we go. This is, this is Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. <clears throat> this is how he blesses you eternally. Ephesians 2 verse 7. The Bible says, In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness, in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Notice, I love this verse, that in the ages to come, you know, we're talking today a little bit about time and stepping out of time. And what did you preach recently? Back to the future. And it was really awesome uh, as we were talking and having some fellowship at lunch. But, but the idea that in the ages to come, see, when you check out of this life, you get into a, a timeless zone. And so, Paul, who's writing believers in Ephesus, he's trying to put in words an understanding of something we can't get a clue of. That in eternity, we are out of time. But he says, in these ages to come, in this timeless zone, God might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in the kindness, in his kindness toward us in Christ. Do you know when you go to heaven, what's going to be unfolded to you? How much God loves you. His phenomenal grace. Do you know it's, going to, it's just going to be unfolded and it's going to take ages for you and me to get a clue. See, most of us, I don't have a really, I'm just, I'm just beginning to enjoy the love of the Father. And I've been enjoying the love of the Father really in a brand new way for two and a half years. But I still only feel like I got a little dab. That's why it's, the Bible talks about, you know, when you have an abundance of grace, charisma. When you have an abundance of grace and you put on the jacket of righteousness. And call yourself thus because he said it so. Then you reign. You will not reign in your own effort. You will not reign in your own work. You won't reign in all your own labor and all your spiritual calisthenics. You will not labor in it, but you will frustrate yourself in it. But you will reign in life when you have an abundance of knowing God loves me completely. God favors me abundantly. God blesses me eternally, all because of Jesus, all because the finished work of Jesus. And then when you wear that cloak of right standing with God, because it's a gift. Has anybody ever given you a gift? And you just feel, ah, it's too much. I'm not worthy. You didn't do I had this guy come do some stuff at the mission center before I went on this last trip. And he put the, all these security cameras on the mission center. In fact, I got an intern right now. Uh, he's an intern, 25-year-old kid from uh, Louisiana. He's an intern in Beirut, and he's putting on security systems all over the Beirut Life Center that you saw and uh, different things. And so this guy, I knew he was having a hard time, and so I blessed him with, with a lot of money in $100 bills. And I said, now, this is... Uh, this." His first word was, I can't take this. This is way too much. I said, I'm not paying you according to your labor. I'm paying you just for favor. And I say, this is for you. It's for your family. It has nothing to do with what you've done for me. God loves you. He's going to take... It overwhelmed him. It overwhelmed him. I enjoyed doing it. I, I, I'm enjoying trying to act like God and give people favor. And you know their hearts are changed. Favor will change you. You know when you have authentic grace, it change. You people say, "Oh, Keith, you can't give people too much grace. They'll just go out and sin a bunch." No, they won't. Grace will teach them. Just let grace do its work. They said to Paul, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" Paul said, of course not, you idiot. I mean, that's kind of a loose word, but loose paraphrase. Actually, a friend of mine told me that it's a really emphatic thing in the Greek. Like, you know, it's, it's, he didn't use profanity, but it's like in the Greek language saying, hell no. Of course not. Do you think, you think Heidi's going to violate me if I love her completely? You think I'm going to violate Heidi? She loves me completely. Do you think I'm just looking for a way to violate my marriage vows because I'm away from her? You think so? 
You think the love of God is not equipping enough for people to rest in? I tell you what, I'd rather trust people to the love of God than trust them to themselves. Because nobody's sufficient of themselves. I'm preaching good right now. Hey, let me. So in the ages to come, there's going to be an unfolding of the manifold grace of God. If this auditorium was a, a replica of the aquarium of heaven, of the grace of the Father in its fullness. I have about a drop of it. It's going to take ages for me to get just loaded, saturated. It's going to take God ages to show me how much he loves me and the kindness he has toward me in Christ. And I'll just say, man, this is too good to be true. So how much he loves you. You might as well feed on it so you can believe it. See, you can know about something without believing it. That's why the scripture says you have to know and believe the love God has for you. First John 4, 16. You got to know it and you got to believe it. Let me show you one other verse then I'm all done. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Then I'm going to pray for you. We'll sing a song. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 1, 6. I'm not going to turn there. I think they'll put it up on the thing so I can read it. <laughs> we need to thank God for the people up in the booth. Don't they do a great job? Yeah, they're awesome. Thank you all. Look at this. Paul told Timothy, this is what I tell you tonight. Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God. What was Romans 1, 11, 12? For I long to see that I might impart to you spiritual gifts, right? To strengthen you, establish you, encourage you, or, yeah, you know, and, and trigger your faith. To, uh, encourage, strengthen, and trigger your faith, Right? The three things to know you have all things. So Paul writes, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Now, what does that mean? Most people think, well, that means your ministry gift or your spiritual gift. or It's really kind of nebulous. But what, what does that mean? Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my... You know what the word gift is? It's the word charisma. Do you know through... You're beholding Jesus and the finished work of what he's done for you. You have the full favor of the Father in you when you had a believing moment. And you have to stir it up. Do you know how I stir up the gift of God that's in me? I tell myself the truth of his love for me. You know how I do it? I pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah. I tell you what, you know what I do? I lay hands on myself. I lay my hands on people. We were just at a conference. Heidi and I were preaching. Had a great time. It was a conference on impartations and all around charisma. So I just taught, you know. And uh, it was an awesome time. And just praying for people. And stirring people up in the love of the Father for them. If you can get stirred up in the charisma that you have granted in your life through Jesus Christ, everything in your life is fixable, fully, fully fixable because of his great love for you. So tonight, I just want to finish and close out this night's service as we sing a song and uh, whatever. I just want to pray for people and bless you tonight and encourage you and stir you up in the love of the Father. And if you think you're frail, if you think you're finished, if you're so discouraged, you need more grace. You need to be encouraged. 
If you're just so spiritually weak that you just don't know if you're going to make it and you just fall back into this and fall back into that and you think you're a loser, don't buy into the line. You're fully accepted by the Father. I want to stir up the grace of God in you. I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. I want to help you. And uh, I tell you what, as we receive the Father's love tonight, I know great things are going to happen. So let me turn it to you first and then uh, do whatever we need to do. And then uh, at the very end, we'll pray for everybody and... Have a great time. Hallelujah.